Did you know that 66% of men start losing their hair by the age of 35? Is that hairline slowly starting to move backwards? Any bald spots yet? When you start to notice hair loss, it's too late. But thanks to science, baldness can be optional. 4hims.com is a one-stop shop for hair loss, plus skin care and sexual wellness for men. You get medical-grade solutions, real doctors offering well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair. These are not herbal supplements. They are prescription solutions backed by science, and they're shipped directly to your door. So order now. My listeners will get a free trial month of four hymns for just five dollars right now while supplies last see the website for full details this would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or pharmacy go to fourhimscom slash usc that's f-o-r-h-i-m-s dot com slash usc fourhimscom slash usc hey trojan fans it's time to get into the huddle with the peristyle podcast the Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on a Sunday. We're talking some USC Trojan football off the bye week. We got football again. USC was in the Coliseum taking on Colorado. Previously undefeated Colorado. No longer the case. The Trojans take care of business 31 to 20. And we're going to talk to the coach, Harvey Hyde, about how he felt the game went. Get his thoughts on that. Answer a lot of your questions about this Trojan football team and the game. USC is in position, and they control their own destiny to win the Pac-12 South. So we'll talk about all that. If you have any questions or comments for us, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's email address, or if you'd like to call or text, you can do that. The number is 424-254-9141, right from your phone. You can call, leave us a brief voicemail, or shoot us a text. Hey, got something on your mind about USC football? Text us. We'd be happy to answer it here on the Parastyle Podcast. And man, that's... He's very familiar with answering your questions. He's been doing it for many, many years here on the podcast. The coach, Harvey Hyde. What's up, coach? How you doing? Well, here we go. Another weekend. Uh, and, of course, a big win for the Trojans. It uh, wasn't pretty, but it was a W. And now a real challenge as far as going to Salt Lake City and taking on Utah, who's playing pretty good. Well, Utah's always a tough place to play anyway. I've coached there. and uh, They are a... Uh, they are a hostile group. They love their football up there in Salt Lake City or in the state of Utah itself. But uh, we'll probably want to talk about uh, a little bit uh, the victory of the Trojans, 31-20 over Colorado. So well, let's get started, Ryan. Yeah, let's do that. We're, we'll talk about uh, Utah maybe a little bit at the end. I think we have a question on that. But um, just be let people know, Southern California Tickets has uh, been a great sponsor for us over the years. You can go to their website, SoCalTix.com. TIX.com or give them a call 1-800-888-7287. Tell Curtis, the coach sent you. Check it out if you need tickets for anything. Uh, I needed to get some tickets this weekend. They helped me out um, for my sister who is in town. So that was cool. So Southern California tickets, 1-800-888-7287. Check them out. And uh, like I said, tell Curtis that the coach sent you. Um, coach. All right. Well, let's, let's chat about this game a little bit and uh, pretty good. I, I thought it was a really good overall, a really good defensive effort. Uh, I was really impressed with what this defense was able to do. 
A little surprised that Colorado didn't make some adjustments, but man, USC was just 16 tackles for loss. Like that's insane. So they're just bringing it, you know, especially for the first three quarters. Uh, offensively, I, I didn't think it was very good outside of the second quarter where USC scored three touchdowns. Um, so it, I wouldn't say it's a complete game, but I really like this Colorado offense coming into the game. And then to see the way USC shut them down without Cameron Smith out there, I was I was impressed with the defensive effort. So maybe get your initial thoughts before we uh, jump into some of the questions. Well, Ryan, uh, I have to agree. Uh, in the uh, <clears throat> uh, early parts of the game, or a lot of the game, uh, I, I really like the defensive effort. I really did. I think they played as a team, and they looked quicker than they'd ever have. Either that or Colorado was slower. And they played on their side of the football. As, as Everybody's seen the stats, 16 tackles on their side of the line of scrimmage. Uh, they, 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 they looked like they were having fun playing defense. I mean, uh, except for the hot dogging that goes on, which I'm not really big, big on. I think that's your job to go out there and get it done and act like you've done it before. Uh, they get excited. Kids get excited and, and coach Elton doesn't seem to mind. So, uh, let it go and let it rip. And that's what they're doing. But I thought they really played well, and uh, I, I was I was really impressed too uh, by the secondary coverage. And I thought Marshall, you know, I'm sort of tough on him at times. I know he had a couple of pass interference penalties, but I thought he took their receiver out of the game. He jumped up there and played man tight man on him, and you know he went to his old habit as far as not sure where you are. So I'll hold on to you. You know, one way I do that or teach that and you think I haven't done these things before but I used to tape their hands shut where they couldn't grab and they got used to covering without grabbing they could feel and know where he is but you couldn't open your hand to grab the receiver so all of a sudden you found out that you can do that so you know but I thought he did a pretty good job I thought the secondary played well I thought the linebackers formed well <clears throat> I tell you, the kid is really going to be a great player that took the spot for Cameron uh, Smith, number one. What do they call him? Ivy or IE? I mean, uh, EI, huh? EA, EI, EA, wow. Yeah. No, it's EA, probably wow. EA, Naote, Ote, yes. Good. I, I From Bishop Gorman High School, I'll tell you, he starts on an, as an outside linebacker. He plays inside linebacker. He'd be a great player. I just think what happened towards the end of the game defensively, they were on the field too long. 84 plays are on the field too long. And, you know, they got tired and sort of not, I'm not saying lost their interest, but they got fatigued. And, uh, and you know, they just been finished again. Something that USC does not want to do. They don't want to win. And, you know, second half, the offense scores three points. I mean, really, the offense didn't play well the entire game as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, they... Three points, uh, they scored 10, but defense got seven of them. And uh, they just were on the field too long. And then, you know, instead of running the clock out, they're going to throw the ball so they can stop the clock and give Colorado another shot at it. And uh, running game just never gets started. But I don't think it's ever going to get started because they have so many tendencies to where they're going to run the football and they don't care about, you know, the series, or they don't care about any counters or quarterback keeps or bootlegs or bootleg runs or uh, all of these type of things. And their passing game, you know, receivers all around each other, two or three receivers in a, within a 10-yard area. Their favorite route is the streak or the fade. 
and they go to it all the time, and they either get a pass interference or a touchdown. But as far as any type other series or reads or anything in the passing game, it's just not there. And I really feel bad for the kids because there isn't really any identity or rhythm on the offensive side of the football, and eventually it just runs out, and then all of a sudden you hang on to get the victory, and that's what they've done. Hung on and got the victory against Arizona, hung on and get the victory against Washington State, hang on and get the victory against Colorado. I mean, not that they didn't deserve to win the game, but they just cannot put somebody away in the second half. They just cannot go out there and just want to punish somebody. So somebody looks on the film and tape and say, wow, they're a good football team. Everybody's still saying, how good of a football team are they? You know, or can they get twelve guys? Can they get eleven guys on the field for a field goal team? Or how can you have twelve guys on the field? I mean, these are the things that go back and forth that you really wonder about. Yeah, there was definitely some concerns. One of the things on offense, um, and Dan Weber brought this up, and, and Keeley tweeted this out uh, at halftime. USC had thirty-seven plays for two hundred fifty-five yards. Um, all of those yards were passing yards. <laughs> they had zero rushing yards at the half. And, uh, you know, they had that flurry in the second quarter where they scored three touchdowns. So I, I think that was a, a big concern. They tried to run the ball a little bit in the second half. It didn't really work. Um, but the if you want to look on the defensive side of the ball, the first three quarters, um, uh, Colorado ended up punting nine times. And right. seven of those were three and outs. And two of those three and outs came after interceptions that they went backwards. So I thought the defense, like even when the offense was screwing around early on, turned the ball over and stuff, the defense gave them every opportunity. Uh, and they took advantage of those opportunities in the second in the second quarter, but really thought, I mean, I don't want to underplay. Yeah, they give up a couple of long drives uh, in the fourth quarter. But I think at that point, They've done enough. Like the, the the first three quarters, the effort they put in for the first three quarters, I'd say you could uh, you could pack it in, and that was okay. I mean, I know you got to play the whole game, but I think they had done enough to show, hey, this defense has really come to play. And uh, you know, getting seven three and outs uh, on those critical drives, I thought was really that was a you know amazing accomplishment from Clancy Pendergast in the in that group. No, I agree with you, Ryan. I really do. I just uh, like I said. They're on the field a little bit too long, and they USC didn't want to put it away with the offensive side of the football. So uh, Colorado had more opportunities, but you're right. I think they punted four or five times in the first quarter. It was unbelievable. So I thought the defensive side played the way everyone has expected them to play. We had a text question uh, from Athens, Greece. Robert in Athens. Wow, I didn't know you were going to text from that far away. Uh, he's a class of 2000. He said, Coach Hyde... With Colorado being five and zero against teams with a combined six and twelve, I'm sorry, six and twenty one record, of which two of those teams were zero and five, and one was one and four, and one and four FCS team, is there really much to be excited about scoring only three offensive touchdowns, rushing for sixty two yards, and committing thirteen penalties? Thanks for your time, and fight on, Robert in Athens, Greece. Robert, not taking the glass half full approach to USC football, but what do you think, Coach? Well, I think he's 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 correct in a lot of things he says. Penalty wise, you're not going to win games having that many penalties. We had what 16 the week before and 13 this week against uh, great teams. Uh, you're not going to win football games like that. If you do that at Utah, you're not going to win. You're not going to beat uh, anybody uh, that has any quality and discipline 
when you have that have that many penalties. It just you just can't overcome them. And I agree with that. And then again, too, with the Colorado situation, they haven't really beaten anybody that uh, had uh, any type of substance as far as a, a great team. They beat UCLA, who rebounded, and uh, and they they they've done it with three great players on offensive side of the football. Really, in a balanced defense, they lost their their, their receiver, which took away one third or maybe two thirds of their offense. And then they lost uh, their running back, who played part of the time, and Montez did all he could do. But they're not—they're not a talented team that has a whole bunch of great athletic players. Uh, but they're—they're they're really coached well, and they play hard. And uh, they're more or less like a Washington State type of team, where McIntyre takes his kids, puts them in a position, and coach does a good job of coaching of where they perform to their abilities. And that's what they've done. When they meet a team like USC that has all the athletic skills that they do and abilities, it's very difficult for them to compete against them. It is because they, there's so many ways, this, ways the Trojans can score or hurt you. So I basically think that is the best way to describe Cal, Colorado. Very well coached, haven't beaten anybody really of quality. And when they lost a couple of stars, it really was, I never felt at any time, I really didn't that USC was going to lose. You know, I want, there's one quick thing I wanted to ask you. Hopefully it's quick. Um, when I watch this game, to me it looks similar to the Washington State game early. Washington State was trying to run their offense behind the line of scrimmage, get the playmakers the ball, and let them run after the catch. And USC was all over it. They wouldn't let them get past the line of scrimmage. And the exact same thing I felt happened to Colorado, you know, against Colorado and that's where you're getting all these tackles for loss. There was only four sacks out of those 16 tackles for loss. There was a lot of plays that developed behind the line of scrimmage that, and Colorado is usually very good at breaking tackles and, and getting downfield um, and, you know, getting yards after contact. And they weren't able to do that. USC swarmed to the ball. They tackled really well. And to me, Washington State then adjusted and they started throwing a lot of quicker intermediate routes. It wasn't the stuff behind the line of scrimmage or at the line of scrimmage. They stretched the field just a little bit, 10, you know, 10 yards down the field or whatever. And it worked really well. They started moving the ball. Colorado kept doing the same thing the entire game. It was like a check down bonanza. Did you notice that at all, coach? And do you see like as a coach, if you see that like, hey, we can't we can't continue to run these things. Uh, at the line of scrimmage, we have to push it downfield a little bit. I, did you notice that? Well, you know, uh, I didn't notice it to a point like you did. I did notice that, you know, that they had a difficult time on uh, with the defensive front and the way the defense played against Colorado. They just, uh, uh, USC just allowed them to stay in the game. They just allowed them to stay in the game. Uh, and they did. Uh, really, they're not a talented football team, uh, but they just fought hard, stayed in the game, uh, and uh, USC couldn't put them away. They just couldn't put them away, and I, and and I, they just haven't even put anybody away. Uh, I can't even remember back where they, where they'd done that. And uh, but yeah, you know, when you have a well-coached team and you coach well, you take, you know, if you're doing this, I'm going to do that. And that's what teams do. That's what Mike Leach, Leach, uh, Leach does. And, of course, they tried to take advantage of the way and how aggressive USC was to be able to try to counter that and be able to make something go. Uh, they they played as hard as they could, but uh, 
couldn't get it done. But I'll tell you, there was a time when I sat there and I was watching it, and they got that onside kick. I said, watch this. This is going to go down. They're going to score, and it's going to come down to the last play of the game again. I said, how can they allow this to happen? It's absolutely amazing how, uh, I hate to say it like this, and how you can screw it up. Yeah. Uh, let's, we have a voicemail question for you, Coach. You're talking about coaching. This has to deal with that. Here you go. Well, boys, here it is, 20-12 to 12 after the SC game, and I'm just leaving. This is Richard from Palm Springs. I'll take the win, but, uh, again, two weeks, and I don't see any identity uh, at all with this team, and Hilton almost came close to uh, having us lose uh, another game. The penalties, again, ridiculous. Uh, you know, there have been three great coaches in the 60 years I've been watching SC, John Robinson, John McKay, and Pete Carroll, all the rest of them, Tolner, Larry Smith, Hackett, Sarkeesian, all the rest, and now Helton, put them all together. Uh, he is not the answer. Uh, they're they're going to get clobbered, and uh, we the fans are the ones that are going to suffer. Last, rest in peace, Kevin Ellison. I wish this team had as much heart as you did when you played. Thanks a lot. Good night. Not real happy. <laughs> Not real happy. Not real happy. And um, uh, I know how he feels. He become very uh, flustered. But when you want to sit back and you remember the days of, of the toughness and the philosophy of what USC football was all centered around as far as going to the Coliseum or watching the Trojans play and saying, how bad are we going to beat them? If, and uh, let's uh, celebrate. And, 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 and you know, uh, it all started, you know, it goes way back. Of course, you got to have great players no matter what style of football you play. But most of our football fans that are listening remember the days of student body right, student body left, great defense, Richard Woods, all these guys that played. Sam Cunningham, you name them. Uh, uh, like you mentioned, uh, Allison and these guys, physical, Ronnie Lott. When Ronnie Lott spoke, everybody listened, type of football player and uh right now you know it sort of changed the usc image and football program changed when Pete carroll left and it became more of a a uh, wide open passing attack uh, three receivers four receivers uh sarkeesian lane kiffin where they they lost the image of the toughness of USC Trojan football. Uh, they didn't, they don't line up in the eye. They don't play that way anymore. They don't even have it hardly in their offense whatsoever. In fact, they get even confused when they get in the victory formation at the end of the game. They got a double tight with an eye, or well, not even with an eye, and then they come in and they go the victory formation. I mean, it seems as though it's just helter skelter on everything they do. Uh, as far as a identity they don't have an identity and the identity i think that usc fans like is when you used to line up and just hammer people okay just hammer them and beat them and beat them to death slowly and finally they surrendered and wanted to go home and really with uh lane kiffin coming uh, who had a different philosophy did not play at usc did not understand the tradition did not understand that uh Sarkeesian the same way, did not understand it, did not play in that system, went to BYU, threw the football all the time when he was up there. 
that uh, and then Clay Helton, of course, uh, learning. He Clay's a young guy, learning under Sarkis and learning under uh, Kiffin and learning at Western Kentucky. Uh, that he's got the same philosophy. Uh, they haven't played that type of football or coached that type of football. And it's the type of football that USC Trojan fans like, the smash mouth, beat you to death type of thing and and haul you off in a like the gladiators just throw them in a wagon and haul them off. And that's that's the tradition and pride of the Trojan football family. And it's not there right now. That type of it. Yet they continue to win uh, as they have. They're currently, you know, in first place in the Pac twelve South, but when you look at it, uh, people don't even care about that. It's not that. It's just not Trojan football when they look at it. I mean, they've had great years the last two or three years as far as, what, 19 straight home victories. I mean, how can you do better than that? Well, you can, but it's how you do it. And I think that's what the Trojan football fans are talking about. They want an identity of some type. And right now that seems to be lacking. And I think their identity is the lack of the running game, the lack of the power football game, the lack of a lot of these things that they're used to. And it comes from not really understanding that you can run what you're doing, but you got to fit your personnel. How long have I been saying, don't run this offense if you don't run your quarterback? And they never run their quarterback. So the one back takes you to play every play. Why not just, Run all 11 guys over to the running back. But nothing else comes off of it. And there's no counters. There's no bootlegs. There's no bootleg run. There's nobody throwing the ball in the middle of the field. There's no tight end routes. Uh, there's receivers standing next to each other. It's either a 10-yard stop or a streak or a fade. Kitchen Little throw the ball on a short post over the middle. And there's nothing else to hold anybody in the rushing game. In the rushing game, you got to have series running the football. If you remember SC, they had the blast, they had the power, they had the toss. And then they had the reverse off of it or something to hold everybody there or the sweet pass. They had something to keep them honest. But right now, it's one running back running to the play every single time with no backside hold whatsoever so all 11 guys can run to the football. And they know where poor JT Daniels is going to be. Why? Because he doesn't run. So he's in the pocket every single time. So you can just come back and go after him. So, you know, it's not a hard defense, defense or an offensive defense. So I think that's basically what people are upset about as far as not in an identity uh, with this team. And it's def- difficult to have an identity when you don't complete what you're doing with a complete series. Yeah. And, I think football fans understand this, but I don't know what they're thinking about when you don't have, Ryan, any type of series whatsoever with a two-back offense or a victory formation or a jumbo when you're in a short-yarded situation. You never know what to expect. Yeah, the offense is just kind of like throw it downfield and some guy makes a great catch or pass interference. Like That's what it seems to be right that's now. That's it. No, there is nothing else to it than that. <laughs> Which I feel bad, but that's that's kind of what I see. Um, well, the way the offense gets started, coach, you need the snap of the football. We had a text from George and Oxenard. He said, "Bad." He said, "Hey, coach, bad snaps, 
specifically low snaps last night, continue to be an issue. I can see a nightmare scenario where JT gets seriously injured on a play where he's scrambling for a ball after an errant snap and gets drilled by the defense. That would be very bad for a lot of people. It would be all on clay. Please help me understand how bad snaps are still a thing halfway through the season. Are they not correctable? What would you do? This is very unfair to JT, and I just don't get it. Befuddled, George in Oxnard. Well, George in Oxnard, if you've been listening as long as I've been doing the show with Ryan, and Ryan, I think you can say this is the truth. I've been talking about this. Throws the entire timing off in the, of the entire running game, passing game, and everything when the snap's not correct, and the quarterback is more worried about where the ball's going to be on the centering of it than when he's uh, anything else. And I've talked about this over and over and over, but no one seems to listen as far as the coach listening. And, Ryan, I think you've heard me talk about it at practice. The only way you learn it is practice. You hear me talk about the only way you get better as a football player is to play football. And uh, in practice, they should have live drills when you snap the football. During practice, when they do seven-on-seven or when they do anything, running game, I mean, even if it's it's shields or whatever, it's got to be live like in the center area type of area where you harass the center and you make him snap the ball correctly. And if he has to come out early to do it, live drills, then you do it. If it's after practice, you do it. But you can't start an engine without a battery. Otherwise, you're going to be shoving it or parking on a hill and let it roll and then throw it into gear. And that's exactly what happens with the offense. Your timing gets off. Your your confidence gets off as far as a quarterback, as far as where's the snap going to be. Yeah, that split second, you take your eye off of the receiver or the reads because you got to locate the football that's on the ground or up in the air. But this is something that's happened, and I don't blame anybody. I'm just saying you got to work on it to improve it. And I don't see it happening. Now, I'm not going to practice now as I do normally in the fall and in the spring. Maybe they're doing it now, but they don't seem to be hitting much now or doing much of that live stuff now. But that's where you got to learn it. You can't learn it during the game because that's when you get all hyped up and you're, you know, and you're, and you're not really concentrating on what you should be concentrating on. So uh, I keep talking about that all the time. I've talked about it for years. So what else can I say? <laughs> uh, Keith in New Jersey wrote in, Coach. He said, so solid defensive effort, even without Cam Smith, beat a team that came in unbeaten and was ranked while we were rightfully so, uh, while we were rightfully so not. I guess he means we're not ranked heading into it. In the driver's seat in the Pac-12 South heading into Utah week. Sorry, but I don't feel any better about this this year than I did uh, after the Texas loss. Much of the same reasons, the penalties, the over-reliance on Daniels, the continued seemingly disorder of the program as a whole, including Dan Weber and Keeley Ewer's observation in the post-game recap that Porter Gustin was forgotten and left on the field after post-game on-field interviews. Please be honest and let me know if I should shut up and accept these issues and enjoy where the Trojans are today, or do I have a reason to remain uneasy? Thanks, fight on. Keith in New Jersey. And really quick on the Port Augustine thing. So Port Augustine uh, was playing you know, late in the game uh, because the game was still, like Coach was talking about, there was still you know some doubt there, onside kicks and things like that. Um, he severely looked like he severely injured his foot or ankle and was having a hard time walking, was on the field, 
and he had to do a post-game interview with uh, with our friend Bruce Feldman uh, from Fox. But by the time he was done with that, pretty much everyone had gone. There was no trainers around. And he was literally asking like Dan Weber about, you know, if there's someone, a trainer around, someone with a cart. When we were walking back up, you know, so he's there. And then people, he was just standing there and then people would come taking pictures with him and he couldn't really move. So when we walked up, we have to go up the tunnel to go do interviews afterwards. We found someone with a cart and uh, Dan asked them, hey, can you go down? And they uh, figured it out and they sent a cart down to go pick him up. But it was really kind of strange. I'm not, you know, blaming anybody, but there was someone that, I don't know if it was someone's job to remember that your star player is hurt and he had to do an interview. Can he get some help? But he didn't have that. But I don't know. What are all your thoughts on that, uh, Coach, from Keith, the Keith in New Jersey's questions? Well, I'm sort of uh, shocked on that uh, because I, I, uh, when I watched him, you know, Porter doesn't like to show any type of pain. He's that type of guy, a kid. You know that, too. I mean, he, he, he takes pride in who he is as far as body-wise and strength-wise and, and playing ability-wise. He didn't practice all during the bye week, yet he played almost the entire game. And... Uh, <clears throat> to forget your star or your player on the field, my God. Uh, I'm lucky they get everybody on the plane when they fly home. Uh, you'll have to leave somebody <laughs> in the airport. I mean, I'm not trying to make a joke of this, but I, I, it is sort of funny because normally you should always check the field to make sure, first of all, not only all your equipment is gone, because if you leave all your equipment and everything out there, people are going to pick that up and stuff. But also your players are okay, and they're off the field, especially one that's been injured. And Russ Romano is the best, one of the best trainers there are, okay? Don't get me wrong, in the country. And he's a friend of mine. Yeah, but there's always, uh, and he can't be assigned to everything, but there was or should be somebody assigned to that, and uh, that just happened. Uh, but I'm shocked because there should have been a golf, golf cart there immediately knowing anyway that he couldn't make it in. So someone should have been waiting there to take him in. And who knows, maybe he didn't need to have an interview after the game when he's injured. And maybe it's best to get him in and start treatment and icing it and doing everything they need to do to take care of this kid. Sometimes, you know, the media doesn't always have priority when someone's injured. And maybe he should have been even taken in before that to make sure he got immediate attention. So I don't know how those things happen. I guess they have happened. We haven't left anybody in the airport when I was coaching yet. (laughs) I don't think I'll get back to it. But the point of it is you can't let that type of stuff happen. You can't leave your injured on the battlefield and leave, you know? Yeah, I took, I was walking out there. So Keely, Dan and I were standing basically right next to him. And I took a picture of him. He looked like he was in pain. He had his shoe. It was his right shoe already off. And, but I think because, you know, they, they interview Clay Helton after the game and they were going to interview one player and apparently they picked Porter Gustin. I'll have to ask Bruce uh, about it afterwards. I talked to him briefly, but, you know, not realizing at the time that Porter was kind of stuck out there, like he was there and uh, there was no way he was going to make it all the way back up the tunnel without some help. Um, I was at the point where I was like, hey, do you want me to just, you know, you could walk on my shoulder with like, we're not really supposed to be involved in this kind of stuff, but you see a kid that's helped kind of help us there. We were trying to help him, you know, it was really, it was kind of strange, but we'll, we'll try to maybe ask Clay Helton about it during his uh, press conference or something and see if there was some kind of oversight or whatever. But yeah, it was, it was a little weird, uh, strange situation. 
Um, poor Clay. Poor Clay Elton. He's got all these other stuff. He's going to ask you. Now you're going to ask you about leaving a guy out. Why'd you leave Port Augustine out there with one shoe and no uh, no way to get back up the tunnel? Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad you, Ryan, I'm glad you didn't help him in because somewhere that has to be an NCAA violation. It, it might have been. I don't know. Like, yeah. Because you didn't help everybody in on the entire student body to leave the <laughs> Coliseum. So you just got to leave him out there because that might be a violation, but you gave him assistance of some type. Now, if I gave him a ride in my car, that definitely would be, you know, that would be some kind of violation. But if he like put his arm over my shoulder and we like limped back up the, the I don't think that would have, I don't think so. Well, who knows? Maybe it would be. No, uh, no. You would have <laughs> said he was helping you. <laughs> but luckily, you know, the car came out and, uh, and drove him up there. Um, Joan, formerly of Idaho, uh, she said, so she usually was Joan from Idaho. She lives in LA now, but she was Joan from Idaho before. So we, we keep saying that the defense played a great game last night. Lights out. They were fast. They moved to the ball. I agree with you, Joan. Wow. Those refs really made the game unnecessarily long last night. Yet one more time, it seemed to me and everyone else in the stadium that the refs really tried hard to give Colorado a chance in the fourth quarter. Uh, where were those two pass interference calls against uh, Iman Marshall in the two fourth quarter drives on fourth down? I saw some beautiful passes defense, defended by Biggie. Also, we had two great uh, grinded out running drives in the third slash fourth quarters, both stalled by holding calls on the offensive line. We finally start with some great run drives and poof, they are gone. It's embarrassing. We have three, four. Now a step came in in the end running backs. And we had zero, count them, zero rush yards in the first half. What the heck is going on here? The defense played a class act football game, and the offense was equally brilliant and bad. Uh, that's from Joan. Good stuff from Joan. She knows what she's talking about. No, very good. And uh, you heard us address earlier, I thought Biggie played a good game, too. And, you know, he, he had his arm out there. You know, those are ticky-tacky calls. You can call them or don't call them. I mean, one play they'll call them, the next play they won't call them. So, you know, those are the type of calls that uh, you go crazy on. And you saw Coach Helton, he did went crazy on him. And you don't normally see him do that. But I think he's starting to challenge the officials more than he ever has before. And I think that's good, too, to know that they'll hear from you if you don't uh, make a decent call. Uh, I thought that the defense warned him. We talked about that. I thought the defense had a good job. I did a good job. And. On the offensive side, we've discussed basically the running game, and, you know, they just give up on it because, and it's not necessarily the kids' fault, uh, or it's not necessarily uh, the effort, but it's what you're doing. You can't continue to take the, the whole entire 11 defensive players to the football every down, and that's what they're doing. I mean, you can, you name me one time they ran away from where they started, never. Any type of counter, any type of bootleg, any type of keep. JT Daniels never carried the ball one time last night as far as this offense that they're running. You've heard me from day one say it should be a two-back offense with this type of quarterback uh, uh, as far as a non-athletic, very good passing quarterback, smart quarterback, all the things in the world you want as a quarterback, but he's got to fit the offense you're running. And he doesn't fit that type of offense. So uh, that's why it's not working. So... What can I say? You know, it's trying to put me in a, on a 440 relay team. You'll take laps every time, okay? Because I can't run fast or I can't do certain things. But make me a shot putter and maybe I got a chance. So it's just making sure that you put your players where they can perform and execute because you need to have 
as we've always said, you've got to put your players in a position where they can exhibit their talent. We had a, another voicemail question for you, Coach. Play it for you now. Hey, Ryan, Coach, and uh, the rest of the staff there. Um, just wanted to make a comment. Did you all realize, and I'm sure you did, that uh, Trojan starting some freshman quarterbacks in the history uh, in terms of recent times. Carson Palmer went 8-5 to five in his first year, split some time with Mike Van Raphorst, and uh, the first year for Matt Barkley, the Trojans went 9-4. and four. Uh, What it really says is, is with a brand-new quarterback in JT Daniels, this is really a uh, rebuilding year. So I don't know why everybody's expectations were so high that we were going to, you know, challenge for a, a top five or top ten spot. This is a rebuilding team. And actually, I think overall we've got some really good players, a lot of good young players. So we need to put things in perspective. Uh, I truly don't think we'll finish probably any better than about uh, uh, nine and four or so. Uh, uh, and if we do, then I think that's the success. So just my perspective, I want to get your thoughts on that. Uh, you know, everything's hyped up so much in this football world today with social networking. But, uh, you know, I think it's a success if we get the team because then that means next year they'll be that much more experienced. Okay, just want to get your thoughts, everybody. Take care. Well, uh, I understand uh, what you're saying, but uh... – I'll put it to you this way. At USC, you're not expected to have a rebuilding year. You don't have a rebuilding year at uh, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, uh, Georgia. Uh, it's not expected. It's not accepted either. Uh, and I think at USC, with the preseason hype on the top recruiting classes and number of athletes and all the preseason publications and all the talk about JT Daniels going to USC, that the expectations of USC are, are high. Uh, I mean, they were picked to the Pac-12 South. Uh, they were there. They needed to replace uh, some pretty good players that moved on. But I think uh, people expect them to be able to do that when you have great recruiting years. Now, if you look at college football, I think there's a great separation between about six schools and the rest of the pack. You take the top six schools, and you know who those are, the Alabama, the Clemson, Georgia, and so on. Georgia got beat. Uh, by another top team in LSU and so on. I mean, uh, there's about six or seven teams that are just a step ahead, ahead of everybody else. Why? Because they don't have what you want to call, they don't expect to have what you call a rebuilding year. And I think that's what USC fans expect to be included in, that group of of teams and universities. And I think that's why a 9-4 and four, would be a reasonable great record for a lot of schools, really would be but uh, not good enough for USC and not good enough as far as uh, the way you win your nine games. Uh, when you win them closely and you have supposedly the better, best roster in the Pac-12 and blah, 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 this and that, and you hear all the noise that's happening at Oregon and their great recruiting class coming up in Washington and Peterson's team and you're not even the best team in the Pac-12 as far as people recognizing that, as far as maybe they are. Well, time will tell. But uh, USC is not expected to go be included with the rest. They're supposed to be included with the elite. And uh, right now, I don't think the fans feel they're part of the elite college football teams 
in America. And I think that's one of the problems that bother people the most is the bragging rights and the tradition of who Troy is. Nah, and uh, they expect it to be that way and not have rebuilding here. So I think that that's really the answer to your question. If you say, will they be happy with a 9-4 and four year? Well, they have to be if that's what they are. But will do they expect more? Yes, they do. They expect more than a 9-4 and four year every year at USC. In John McKay's era, it was we turned right to go to the Coliseum and we turned left to go to the Rose Bowl. And they went through the Rose Bowl almost every year. That's why they have more players in the Hall of Fame in the Rose Bowl than any other team, because they played there more than anybody else. And uh, that's what people expect. When you go to USC, you go there to win championships. We uh, we got, got a few more for you, Coach, then we'll let you go. He says, uh, Nick and Cypress, uh, Big Nick 21 USC from the P. So I hope this podcast is a little more positive than normal due to the solid to good win, dare I say, best performance of the year. Question is, what did you see different USC did to come out for a big game and win and cover the spread? Ryan is kicking himself in the Pac-12 podcast uh, prediction. Fight on uh, from Nick. Yeah, I, I went two and two in my picks against the spread. I, I got the first two right. Um, had Utah and what was the other one? Uh, I forget. But, it, you know, I got the first two uh, correct, which was good. And then uh, I did. I thought Cal would hang with UCLA. They did not. And then I didn't think USC would cover, uh, the spread, which they did. They played, they played really well. So I, I was, I was just a little shocked at how poor Colorado's offense was. And you could say how great USC's defense played, but really that was an offense I liked watching all year and they just didn't look like themselves. But what do you think about all that coach? Well, you know, like we talked about it earlier, they're not a real athletic team, but they're a well coached football team. And, they have two or three players that are really pretty good, and they utilize them 100% as far as within the structure of their offense and defense, and they do that very well. But when you lose those players, like they lost a couple of them, uh, they're an ordinary football team. They're not a great football team, but they're a well-coached football team that plays hard, It has a lot of pride, and that's why they stayed in the game. Stayed right in the game, but they the entire game, they played 60 minutes. They didn't play... 30 minutes or 35 minutes and take the rest of the afternoon off. And their coaches had a plan with what they were trying to accomplish, stayed with it. And uh, even though they were getting beat on the line of scrimmage, uh, they continued the fight. And I think that was important about uh, Colorado. The thing that's disappointing is USC didn't take advantage of the opportunities they had with, with the turnovers. And also they created turnovers. Uh, uh, first play of the game, I was a negative type of play and they, but yet, uh, in the first half, uh, they struggled through it. And as you and everyone knows, in the second quarter, it hit some plays to go in 21-7 at half. And then at halftime, I was basically tweeting out and telling everybody I was doing a radio show at halftime because it's supposed to be a post-game show because of the way the Trojan schedule goes. It's halftime show, I guess, now. I was telling people that I, I was really looking to see exactly what team showed up in the second half. Because if you're a great football team, you get stronger in the second half. You play better than you did in the first half. You complete the stuff to dominate. You make your halftime adjustments. You find out what's working and what's not working and why it's not working. And you make sure it does work. And you come out and you dominate your team. And they don't do that. Just don't do that because the offense just keeps their defense on the field. They just do not. They 
not produce what they should be producing with the type of offense personnel they have. And uh, you think that teams would get better as the season goes along. Defensively, obviously, they play well against Colorado. And as I said when we opened this segment, was Colorado that bad or is USC that good defensively? Uh, we don't know, but time will tell. But offensively for USC, it was the same struggle. And, and I call it a struggle. They struggled the entire game. They had a couple of big plays, uh, which they are. They're a big play team because they have great athletes. But against teams that dominate and have 84 plays, if you play a great football team that has 84 plays, you're going to get beat bad. So uh, I think that's the best way to explain it. Um, it, it. It's just not satisfactory what people expect, and you're not really using your talent or putting them in a position where people can be successful. And you as a coach can look forward, and a player look forward to going in on Sunday, sitting down with a bag of potato chips maybe, and watching a tape because you know you played well. You go in on Sunday and you say, oh, no, i got to watch this. Why? What happened here? Why didn't this work? How could we only get 10 guys on the field? Why do we kick the ball out of bounds on a kickoff and give them the ball on the 35-yard line? How can these things happen? But they happen. So, you know, you look at all of these and you add them all up and you say, how good are we really? So I think that's the best way to say that. Uh, Don says, uh, why didn't, why, why can't USC close games? They become disorganized in the fourth quarter. I think that was a question. Don. Do they become disorganized? Do you think it's disorganization Uh, in the fourth quarter? What do you think it is? Uh, I don't know what it is. It's, uh, it looks like sometimes it, yeah, it seems like that. I, I don't know. I don't, you know, I wish I could tell you why it's just that, you know, you do things, and you continue to do things, and then you abandon things you should be doing. And you, I mean, really, you should be running the clock out in the fourth quarter with about six minutes to go in the game, and you're throwing the ball. You're throwing the ball because you can't run the ball, and you're incomplete passes, and you're stopping the clock. You're giving them the ball back for more opportunities. All you need to do is make one drive, and you win the football game. I mean, by by. 28 or 31 to 7 or whatever the heck it should be. I don't know. Or 14. But you, you let them stay in the game. You find a way to stay in the game. And, uh, and you know, I just don't think they can get better offensively unless they improve on their offensive techniques as far as what they're doing series-wise and what offense they're running and what passing game they're throwing. And I mean, after a while, what is it a defense? I mean, they take you to the football. And they're going to throw one or two routes, and that's it. And uh, if they hit him, they get a touchdown. If they don't hit him, and if JT's off like he was off in the first half, he didn't really make some good throws, they're really struggling because they can't run the ball because they don't attempt to improve their running game in different type of series and do things to hold the defense in any type of way. They have an opportunity. And, again, the offensive line is to get off the football, and they still look confused to me as far as, their assignments on who they block on pass blocking. So I don't know. They don't even utilize their tight end at all. They they put him on a corner route and they put follow on some route. That's about it. They threw the ball twice to those guys, and I think they were both overthrown. But you know what type of routes are those? You got guys outside there. Put them in the middle of the field somewhere. Throw short boards. They threw a post once 
I think to Brown, and he caught it, made a nice play. But, you know, you just get flustered when you see sometimes, uh, I don't know what the game plan is. Let me put it that way. Um, all right, we've got two more, and then we'll let you go, Coach. Jared says, Clay Hilton frequently brings up winning the Pac-12 South as the primary goal for this team. After reading Nick Saban's book, it has become clear to me that one of his keys to success is to set process-oriented goals, most notably to play with discipline and poise each snap, regardless of the score, as opposed to settling uh, or setting results-oriented goals like winning championships, Pac-12 South, or otherwise. I think the failure to set these types of benchmarks is fundamental to why USC continues to struggle. What are your guys' thoughts? Best uh, from Jared. That's really interesting. I mean, Nick Saban obviously knows what he's doing. Well, you know, everybody has their method as far as uh, their philosophy and plan to win. And I think Nick Saban's plan has been very successful. He's taught many people to win that's been on his staff. I mean, you've got the head coach of Georgia on his staff. Now the head coach of Tennessee on his staff. You've got head coaches all over the country have coached with him as an assistant or a head football coach. And uh, Urban Meyer has his plan. Uh, Dabble Sweeney has his plan. They all have a plan, and they make sure that plan works. And they try to surround themselves with great generals uh, that have uh, fought in wars before and won in wars before and know what it is to go to combat and what to do if certain things are happening uh, in combat. And uh, that is why they are elite programs, and that is why assistant coaches and certain programs are making a million dollars a year and why some assistant programs and other programs aren't making a million dollars a year. Uh, not because of their ability in a lot of cases, but because the school's philosophy is not to pay them that. Uh, they think they're going to win on tradition only. Well, that didn't happen in today's society. You've got to have great generals. It's a different war that you're playing. You've got to have people who know how to adjust and why players play for them and they're in complete control of the game and understand game time situations and how to react to uh, different things that happen. And I think you've got to make that type of commitment to be able to be successful in anything you do, in anything you do. And I don't think USC is a place you learn on the job. I've, I've said that 100%. Uh, I use all the type of different type of ways to explain that to you. Uh, every time from flying Air Force One to to do an heart transplant or doing anything else. You've got to have experience in people that have done it. And I think that that's what you need in a program. I always like Clay Helton. I've told you I like Clay Helton. I think he's a tremendous individual. But you've got to be able to give him a support plan of a support group of individuals, not just players, but individuals that surround him that gives him a chance to be in the elite programs in America of college football. And uh, he's been given this opportunity to coach at USC, and you've got to give him that chance to be successful. You can't just give him a chance and then say, be successful. you got to be given the type of control and money and assistant coaches, and he has to be smart enough, too, to be able to collect those type of coaches that know more than he does, because when they know more than he does in their specific area – you got a good staff because you can't be doing it all. It's impossible. All right, Coach. We got one last one for you. Uh, this is from Trent. It was a text message we got. He said, after watching the Colorado game, 
The offense is still very pass, quote-unquote, happy since the offensive line lacks the ability to run block. And with that being said, do you think USC can beat Utah next week? Also, the penalties are ridiculous. I'm curious to know, uh, during the Pete Carroll era, if players were held accountable for committing a penalty, it's obvious the the staff doesn't care as long as we get an ugly win and the paycheck at the end of the day. Thanks for the insight from Trent. Well, I think the staff cares. I don't think they, I can't say that they don't care. It's just that you've got to be on control of everything that you have in your football program. From the way you dress, to the way you play the game, to the way you travel on the team bus, to the way you celebrate and you hot dog around or whatever you do, your sideline discipline, everything you do, you got to be in charge of and you got to be in control of. And some things just aren't accepted. Just not accepted. And uh, players have got to understand that. And uh, uh, there are do's and don'ts on any football program or in any household or any business or anything else. And it's not an idea of having a lot of rules. It's enforcing the rules you have and what you expect of a student athlete to play on your football team and how you react to, to people who don't want to follow the rules. Uh, there's no B's or me's better than us or team. And I think you've got to be able to create that, and you can't be worried about uh, what people think about you as far as a football coach. If the players love you, the players will love you. Don't worry about that. You don't have to worry about being loved as or liked. you got a responsibility to do them. What you brought them to do is to make them better people. And you make them better people through how they grew up, through the discipline, so they can learn the same type of competitive things and doing it the right way in life. And I think that if you allow the team sometimes to be in more control of what's going on than you are, then you got a problem. So I think that this this is something you've got to address as a team. And, and if you continue to do those things, as a couple of players on the team are always the same ones that are getting the penalties, you don't tolerate it. You just don't tolerate it. I mean, I, I you heard me use that <laughs> that phase four as far as taping their hands shut. So they can't hold. Well, these are some of the things you've got to learn to do to set an example, not to punish somebody, but to say, hey, uh, this is this is just play. Just understand you can't hold, okay? And uh, it sort of rings a bell in somebody's head that, hey, I can't do that anymore. I'm not going to be playing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that just, that's just the way it is because it's not like, uh, I don't know, uh, I mean, is USC so thin at talent level, and I think you know this, Ryan, more than I do, that anyone is bigger than the program? Is it? No, I mean, I think you get you're getting a couple holding. You get a couple holding no. calls. Pull the player. Yeah. You know, like I don't, yeah. I don't get this. I'm not, there's there's enough talent that you don't have to worry about not sitting somebody who's keep, you know, keep making mistakes. Like, I think you have to give them some sort of consequence and we're not seeing that. No, you've got to be able to understand that we don't win big games by doing this type of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you don't pout about it. And it's not a me type of program. It's a type of program. And, uh, and, uh, I just, you know, I'm, I'm a guy that if all the socks are out at the same level, I stop practice and I say, okay, everybody, we're having a, sock check put them all at the same level or okay who's got these things on you're not wearing these things out here 
oh, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. We're all doing it or none of us are doing it. I'm just sort of, I'm not an individual. You're not an individual on a football field. You're a team player on a football field. You'll gain your recognition through your action as a player, not what you wear or how you dance or how you hot dog or how you do this. How you do that. And I'm not just saying this all about USC. I'm just talking about it in general. Just in fact, just general observation of people, businesses, schools today, uh, the way schools are, are and all the different things. It's uh, I, I think that with the lack of discipline in today's life, I tell you, even myself, I, I make a list every single day and I get up with a purpose and I have a game plan of what I got to accomplish today and how best do I get that done to win. And you hear me say this all the time and, you know, people get tired of hearing me saying that game day is every day because uh, you got to have a winning day or you're not, you're losing. So you got to practice that on and off the field in everything you do. All right. That's the coach Harvey Hyde. Lots of questions, lots of thoughts, uh, lots of opinions. So uh, moving forward, I don't want to, I don't want people to take away like there's some kind of super depressing podcast. Really, no, really, it, should be. it really was impressed with that defense and 16 tackles for loss. I was tweeting out every time they got another tackle for loss. I know I can be snarky on Twitter. You follow me and stuff like that. I can, you know, I put some zingers and stuff in there, but didn't really have, I couldn't say much bad about the, the USC defense. I mean, they just played lights out. I was really surprised at how they were able to shut down Colorado. So um, don't want you to take that, take that away from it. Certainly there's some issues, 13 more penalties. That's 31 penalties over the last two games. But, you know, whatever. I mean, but there's some positive things here, and it's going to be tough. Playing on the road at Utah is not going to be easy. So we'll see uh, where USC can go from there. But, Coach, thanks again for, for coming on, and uh, looking forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks, buddy. And again, this is just our opinion. And when you ask a question, we give you an honest answer. And uh, some of you agree, some of you won't agree. But it's, if you see the same games I'm watching, then uh, maybe you uh, agree, maybe you don't. Hey, thank you again for being a part of the podcast. We appreciate you very much. Thanks, Ryan. We do. Thank you, Coach. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde. Follow me at Inside Troy. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.